Father, we come before you this morning. God, and it's with sober hearts that we come to you. And Lord, in hopes that we, we could just experience more of you this morning, Lord, that, that we would live our lives in such a way, Lord, that we would be aware of your presence everywhere that we are. God, that you would help us, Lord, to see you in, in every, every little thing in life, Lord, that sometimes we fly right through. But God, more so than, than just wanting to see and experience who you are and your character and your holiness, God, we want to have a, a proper perspective of who you are and of what you've done. And so God, that's why we sing songs about the beauty of the Lord and what you did on the cross for us as you laid down your life. But Father, we would fall way short if the story ended there for us. Because we know, we have a hope because of your word, that you'll return one day in victory. And Father, that you will conquer all that is evil. And God, that you will defend your church, your bride. And Lord, even now that you're preparing a place for us, that we can be with you forever in heaven. So, Father, I pray that this morning we would see you as the victor, even though our life circumstance tells us otherwise, even though sickness or, or whatever, whatever other issues we're facing tell us other, otherwise, God, that, that we would see you as victor. And, Lord, that we would know that we share in your victory when we share in your, your life and your death and your, your burial and your resurrection. So, God, I pray that you would just help us along and teach us along the way in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Good morning, Mission View. It's good to be in God's house together, worshiping, isn't it? It's so encouraging to see the, the creativity and the talent uh, of, of the band and the worship team and their heart just to exalt Christ. And I'm thankful for that. Um, we are in the midst of a wisdom series. Just to let you know, if you're new uh, or have been away on vacation, we started off by just uh, asking what is wisdom. And Pastor Brian took the first seven verses of chapter one and talked about what wisdom is. And then the following week, Pastor Persley came in and talked about what the fool is. And so he took various passages through Proverbs and talked about the fool. And so you can see those online. And then on Father's Day, we went to Proverbs 4 because we felt it was fitting for family and fathers. And, and so that was where we started. And now we're going to just go back to chapter 1. We're going to kind of make our way through the first several chapters of Proverbs and see how far we can go for, uh, through the summer. Um, we're calling it our wisdom series because we need wisdom. We need wisdom desperately. Now, the question I have this morning for each of you is, is this. What kind of voices are you listening to? The reality is, in this life, there are all kinds of voices all around us that are demanding something of us. It could be the coach that says, I need you at practice five times this week or every week. It could be simply the friend that says, hey, come over at seven, we're going to hang out. It could be your pastor that's constantly saying, hey, we need more help for the family blast this Friday. Hint, hint. Um, it could be, it could be 
your school teacher that's saying your assignment is due on Monday. It can be your boss that's saying, hey, listen, you got to increase productivity. I mean, we need to see sales in your department increase by 10% by the end of the quarter. What I know is that there's voices all around us and these voices always demand something and it presents a choice. And here's what I know. If we listen to every voice around us, we will end up poor. It will be a poor decision and we will be foolish. But if we don't even listen to any wise counsel around us, then equally we would be foolish as well. We need to understand what kind of voices we need to listen to. Proverbs is going to help us with that. A lot of times we make poor decisions and we fall, we learn by, well, we learn by our errors, don't we? Let me tell you about one of the errors that this guy made. A friend of mine years ago put me onto a hot stock, okay? He was, this guy was very wealthy, he drive very nice cars, and I, I knew that this guy had a good business mind about him. And so he put me onto this hot stock and said, Steve, I'm, I'm going to be investing a large sum of money, and if you would like to come in on this investment, it, you know, I want you to feel free, no pressure, it's, you know, your risk, but you can do that. Now, one thing you need to know, at that time of my life, our children were very small. We had three children. We still do. Um, we, we had three small children, and we had hardly any money whatsoever. We were, were driving the beater cars. I mean, we're trying to coax them along to last another decade. Uh, that's just where we were in life. And I really didn't have a business mind. I, I, I don't know that I have it now, but I knew nothing about investments. But the one phrase that kind of stuck in my mind is that it takes money to what? Make money. And so I thought, well, okay, this guy knows what he's talking about. So I'm going to make a decision as a leader of our family, and I'm going to take the $2,000 that we have in the bank account, all the money that we have to our name, and I am going to make this investment. And so you might be asking, uh, Steve, did you seek the Lord? Well, no, not really. But I did promise God that I would tithe on the bundle of money that I was about to make. It was a promise. Did I seek wise counsel? Nope. What I did is I went down to Charles Schwab with my checkbook and I followed the instruction of my friend and I wrote out the $2,000 for that investment, plopped it down, made the investment. And as I was checking out with one of the Schwab financial advisors, he in small talk said, well, so Mr. Marshall, what kind of investment did you make today? And I told him about this hot stock. I told him about this and, and as if he really needed educated. And he goes, oh, so I see you like to participate in legalized gambling. All the joy that was in my heart was sunk to my feet. And I'm like, well, what, what, what are you talking about? He goes, oh, the, the, the stock that you picked is a very high risk, highly volatile stock. I hope it goes well for you. And as I walked out, I'm like, what did I just do? And you probably can guess the outcome. I became very, very wealthy because of that. 
No, within two years, the stock folded and I learned a valuable lesson. The fact is, the voice that I listened to that day was not wise counsel. It wasn't wise at all. In fact, it cost me dearly. Now, I want you to know that fortunately, this was not catastrophic. It didn't send me into bankruptcy. It didn't ruin my marriage. In fact, my wife knew how much of a dweeb I completely felt. And I think she was compassionate. It didn't sever my relationship with the living God. In fact, he was graceful as well. And I think probably enjoyed teaching me the lesson. I hope, I think I got all $2,000 worth. Here's the deal. We have voices all around us. And if we listen to the wrong voices, they will always take us to the wrong people, to the wrong places, and it will always, always, always cost us more than what we bargained for. And what God wants of us as a people is he wants us listening to the primary voice, his voice. He wants us to listen to secondary voices that are wise counsel voices. He wants us to listen to the right voices. And the question I have today is what kind of voices are we listening to? Because my friends, if we are listening to his voice, then I believe that we will be a people that will be fulfilling the mission that God has for us. We will grow with integrity. We will grow in terms of how we live out our faith on a daily basis. And we will become people of influence in incremental ways. I believe that's what God wants of all of us. And the reason that we're going through Proverbs, the reason that we have the desk and the props up here is to show wisdom. And that we need to see wisdom. And that we need to seek it out. And that we need to apply it to our life. God wants us to be wise because he wants us at Mission View to be a body of people that are growing in our integrity, growing in our credibility, and thus growing in our influence for us. Us. He wants some of us are wounded souls and he wants us to be mended up. He, this is the hospital right now and God is in that process of mending and he wants to do that in each of us because he wants us whole. He wants us to be an influence for him. And so as we take a look at Proverbs chapter 1, the question is what voices are we listening to? Turn in your Bibles to Proverbs 1. Proverbs 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 8 to 19. Now in this passage, what we're going to see is three voices. We're going to see the voice of instruction. We're going to see the voice of temptation. And we're going to see the voice of consequence. And we'll see that throughout the passage. But please note this, that the kind of choices that we make depending on the voices that we listen to really has everything to do with verse 7 that sets up the passage. Let's look at that one more time. The fear of the Lord is the what? Beginning of knowledge. Say that with me. It is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instructions. 
Clearly, there's two paths, two directions that we can go in life. We can go the way of wisdom and we will fear God. The word fear means to be in all of God, to worship God, to love God, to adore Him, that He is our everything and that we are taking everything from Him in terms of our understanding, our direction of life. But then there's the way of the fool that despises wisdom and instruction. Now, I know many of us would not be so strong as to say oh I despise God's wisdom you wouldn't be here if that was the case but the fact is some of us can be that way because we are negligent in terms of wisdom and God's word when we go throughout the week and we have no conversations with God or we spend no time with God that only leaves you to your own human understanding which is our natural default our natural default is always our human understanding. But this is the supernatural understanding that helps change us and takes us in a very different direction. Now, as Solomon begins here in verses 8 to 19, Solomon's going to provide the voice of instruction to his son. To his son, and here's the overall message. Son, stay away from sinners that entice. Stay away from bad company. That's what I want you to do. I am telling you right at the beginning of the book that this is one of the most important things that you need to know. It's one of the most important things that we need to know as well. So let's look at the voice of instruction first of all in verses 8 to 10. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are graceful garlands for your head and penance for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Stop there. We go to verse 8 and we see the instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, forsake not your mother's teaching. Now we learn a valuable lesson right off the bat that there is a choice that we can either hear instruction, we can hear teaching, or we can reject it. That is the choice that is beside, be, before us every single day in every situation. Either we listen to the instructions or we reject that instructions. Now I think there's an application to all of us here. Let me make an application to parents, first of all. First of all, I think Solomon, because he's teaching his son, we can gain from this that there is a responsibility that we train our sons and daughters, that we see ourselves in the responsibility of the trainer. Solomon is saying that. He's saying, my son, this is what I want you to do. Listen to what I have to say. This was not just a metaphorical son. This was his actual children. He wanted them to know the truth here. And so parents, there is a responsibility for us to train our kids. It doesn't matter whether you're in home, your kids are homeschooled, whether they're private schooled or public schooled. I agree with all of them. It's your choice as a parent. But it is your responsibility to oversee the education and the development of your child. It's your responsibility. 
That's true on the spiritual development as well. It is your responsibility. Now I want you to know I'm, I'm very thankful that we have a youth ministry here at Mission View. I'm thankful that Adam really from Maranatha brought some of the junior high to help us out this week. I'm thankful that Nick and Sarah are going to be using a team of kids to reach out to our community this week. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the hearts that Nick and Sarah really offer to this ministry. And I want you to know that our elders, our elders took, made the decision to have a youth pastor because they want, they wanted somebody to come alongside of you. And I want you to know that Nick knows his role. His role is to come alongside of the parent because it is your responsibility for the training and the nurturing of your kids. And parents, it is your responsibility both on the positive and the negative in terms of your instructions. Positive, you're to affirm your kids. You're to encourage your kids. You're to build them up in Jesus. But let me also say, you're to say no. You're to say no at times. You are to discipline. You are to correct. I believe that we live in a society that wants to bubble wrap our kids and we want, to, we want to save them from all risks and we want to incubate them in such a way. That's not our job. Our job is not just to protect our kids, but it's to nourish them and guide them through all the difficulties in life. I believe after the age of 18, they're, they're not going to be bubble wrapped by society. We got to help them through that process. We also have to help them overcome this mentality that our kids are special and winners and that it's all about them. Our society will tell that to our kids. That's why they don't want any teams winning or losing in, on the elementary level. I'm like, come on, help them win through adversity. And let's give our kids the correct message. It's not all about them. It's about what God wants to do through them as a servant. So that's the instruction that we can, application we can gain for the parents. But I want you to know there's an application for the student here as well. Because Solomon, as the dad, is training his son. Now, how many of you are between the ages of 14 and 25? I gave you almost a decade there. We got quite a few here that are in that age group. Now here's the difficulty with this application. The difficulty is for a lot of people in this age category, we don't think that our parents know anything. They're kind of stupid. They're kind of, they just don't know what's happening in the world. Like we got a grip on everything that's going on around us. Well, I know that that's a tendency for us to think that way. So I decided to get scientific evidence today to prove that your parents actually do know something. I did research. I really did. This is what I found out. On October 2011, NPR radio host Tony Cox interviewed Dr. Sandra Amat, who is a neuroscientist on the topic of brain development. And in this interview, Dr. Armont reported that the brain is not fully developed till the age of 25. Imagine that. 
That's incredible. I told this to my son two days ago who's 24, and he goes, that's incredible, Dad. He says, how did I become the anomaly where I knew much more way early? He's verifying these findings. She goes on and says that the, at the age of 18, the prefrontal cortex is only halfway developed. In addition to this, she states that the reward system part of the brain is so hyperactive that you tend to make more impulsive and quick and sporadic decisions that tend to be a little bit more foolish. Now, I know this is a hard pill to swallow if you're in that age category, the idea that your parents actually do know something, but please know that your brain is only working at half capacity. <laughs> this guy's happy about it. <laughs> I'm making fun, but the, the reality is we need each other. We need our parents. And there's wisdom in what God says. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Now, notice the benefit. In verse 9, he says that there is a profit. There is a benefit. Look, it says, For they are a graceful garland to, for your head and a pennant for your neck. They, talking about the wisdom and the teaching of your parents, it's a graceful garland. A garland was something that they used to decorate their head, and the pennant was an ornate necklace. Now, these things were given to somebody that had gained a certain level of honor. They proved themselves to be wise. A case in point in the scripture is Joseph. Remember when he worked in Egypt, and he grew up in the ranks, and because of the wisdom, Pharaoh, gave him these things to show that he was a wise individual. In fact, he was second in the kingdom only to Pharaoh. And so the implication here is this. The benefit to you and I, if you are a student, is that if we listen to the wisdom of our parents, then eventually we will grow wise ourselves, and we will rise to the place of influence. That means that there is a bright future in terms of you being a parent. There's a bright future in terms of you being a person of integrity in the workplace. There's a bright future in terms of you being a leader within the church. This is what he means. Now notice in verse 10, Solomon gives the negative. He gives the first voice that the son needed to reject. He says, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. In other words, stay away from bad company. Now, verses 11 through 14 are going to unpack this a little bit further, but I want to ask, pause and ask a couple questions. First of all, are we listening? Are we listening to the voice of instruction? For that matter, are you giving it as parents? Do we have the heart that is, do we have a heart that is tuned in to the heart of God? That is going to be so vital for each of us to have, to be listening to the proper voices. Now let's talk about the temptation here. We turn in the passage and he gives us what happens when we listen to the wrong voices. This is what Solomon says in verse 11. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Shiloh, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. 
We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our house with plunder. Throw in your lot among us, and we will all have one purse. Now, some of you are saying, man, my parents don't talk like that at all. I understand. Let me help you understand. The voice of temptation, what Solomon is doing is he's trying to help people understand his son, the strategy of the wicked. The strategy of the wicked is to appeal to greed, to wealth, the desire to have more. It is kind of like this shimmering, glittery wealth that's on a hook. It's there. It's the worm that's dangling before the foot, fish. And it looks delicious. And we want to bite on it. We want to have more. We want to do that. And all of a sudden, the hook is set within us. And notice what he says. There's different aspects of this temptation. Verse 11, the first aspect is that they're willing to hurt others. He says, let us lie and wait for blood. They're willing to hurt others. So what's the appeal here? The appeal is power over other people. My friends, that's all over the place. Look at Washington. That's what makes Washington run. They want power over the other party. They want power over the other person. There's always kind of leverage and sometimes bloodshed in the process. Look at verse 12. They, the other way that they, uh, this temptation acts, this strategy is that they use people to get ahead in life. Like Shiloh, which is the grave, let us swallow them up alive. The analogy is that grave can never be satisfied, so they can never be satisfied. The appeal here is personal gain. Step on others. Do whatever you need to do to get ahead in life. Verse 13 they're willing to take from people. It says, fill our house with plunder. The appeal is prosperity and happiness. If you're in business, don't tell the other person the whole truth because you might not make the sale. It's about you increasing your profit margin, which also increases your bonus. So don't tell them everything. This is that mentality. And finally, the last aspect of this temptation is join in with us. Join in with us. Throw in your lot among us. And the appeal here is acceptance. The strong desire to feel like I've accomplished something. That I'm a part of the elite. That I am a part of something special. My friends, like it or not, this very appeal is what we face on a daily basis. This is not like one of those isolated temptations that our mama warned us about, about not hanging out with a group of burnouts or not hanging out with the, the parties. No, 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 no. This is mainstream. This is something that every single one of us face every single day because at the root of this temptation is the daily pressure to want more. It's to be it's so being so tired of the jalopies that we have in our in our in our driveway the broken down cars it's being so tired of not having a house that's not big enough it's being so tired of being in a dead-end job that I'm not accomplishing much I have no status in life it's being so tired with these things and our world will constantly feed us that you need to gain money that you need to gain power you need to gain acceptance you need to gain happiness Shoot, our teachers, our teachers in the public school system and in the colleges basically drilled it into your head. 
If you want to get ahead in life, you need a better education. You need a better education so you can get a better job. You need a better job so you can get a better income. You need a better income so you can get a better life. You want to be happy, don't you? You want to get ahead in life, don't you? You want to feel fulfilled, don't you? You want all these things, don't you? Don't you? That's what it's all about. That's the hallmark of our world. And without realizing it, we've been led down a path where we have so much debt because of the school. We are in dead-end jobs that don't do anything for us, and we have pursued the American dream that we now realize is a house of cards. And the problem with this path is that God's not on it. God's not on it. Oh, we might treat God as token where we might come to church on Sunday or every other Sunday or at least once a month. And we'll kind of do our token thing with God. But Monday through Saturday, it's ours. God's not on this path. But my friends, when God comes into the equation, when Jesus becomes our Lord, the, uh, the path goes in a polar opposite direction. Power is replaced with peace. Personal gain is replaced with returns for God. Prosperity is replaced with influence for God. Acceptance is replaced with security in Jesus. And happiness is replaced with true, lasting joy. Here's my question. What voice are you listening to? What voice are we listening to? Has the voice of temptation been so strong in terms of power and personal gain and prosperity, acceptance, and happiness? Or have you yielded to the voice of Christ that bids you, that bids you to die to yourself, take up your cross, which ironically is the only way to attain true prosperous, eternal, abundant life in Jesus Christ. It's only through our death of ourself and for us to deny ourselves completely that true happiness comes. Isn't it Jesus that said, I give life and life abundantly? Do you know that when we surrender to Christ that that abundant life starts now? We don't have to wait till we die to collect on it. It begins right now. The nasty reality is that the voice of temptation always, always, always looks good from the outside, but it always leads us down a path of destruction. Didn't Jesus also say that the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy? He told us the truth. He told us about these paths. The fact is some, even Christ followers, have been pursuing the wrong dream. And I will say, sad, sadly, that there are many churches that preach a message of health, wealth, and prosperity. And I want you to know that goes polar opposite to what God is talking about. I'm not saying God doesn't want you to succeed in your business. He doesn't want that to be your objective. He wants your objective to be, my kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what he wants. His kingdom first and foremost. Now, what Solomon does is he goes and gives the consequences. He says very bluntly, here are the consequences. Look at verse 15. He starts off with a strong plea to his son. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their path. And then he proceeds and says this. 
For their feet run to evil and they make haste to bloodshed. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessor. He gives three consequences. Here's the first one. Number one in verse 16 is that, uh, and here's a summary statement, bad company corrupts. We know this to be true. Verse 16, when he says, for their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed bloodshed. It's saying that there is an irreversible course of action that this group will always take us down. And it will always be grievous sin to God. It will always take you to places that you should not be. It will always have you with people that you should not be with. 1 Corinthians 15.33 is true. It says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Solomon is saying, this shouldn't be in your life. Now, I know this brings a bit of a dilemma for us as a church because we are mission view. We are to have our mission in view, which means that we are to be with lost people. And some would say, well, Steve, how do I be with lost people? I mean, I've heard it say you should be in the world, but not of the world. How does this translate? How do I reach out? Well, here's two observations. Number one, first realize that being involved with lost and bad company are two different things. Bad company is identifying the point of temptation that you are vulnerable in and we need to know ourselves. We need to know where we're, where we're tempted and we need to back away from that kind of temptation, those kind of people. But that doesn't mean that just because I hang out with my neighbor who may not know Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean I'm with bad company. Second of all, you don't need to compromise your values in order to lead someone to Christ. In fact, it will be your values that sets you apart. I ran into an old student of mine some years ago, and he was telling me about his outreach method. And I noticed that in his behavior, he was swearing more. And I had heard he had been going into a lot of the bars and stuff like that. And he, he told me that was his approach. He just wanted to be more relatable to those on the bar scene. And so he you know, felt like he could dr dr drop a few more F-bombs. And, and this would make him more appealing for Christ. True situation. Now, I, I don't know for certain... But I'm going to guess his success ratio in leading people to Jesus is probably a goose egg. And I'm going to also guess that this was a masquerade of trying to put God's blessing on his area of vulnerability. Bad company corrupts. Here's the second thing he teaches is that temptation leads to a trap. This is a consequence. Temptation is always going to lead to a trap. Look at verse 17 and 18. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Evidently, birds are smart enough to see when a trap is set right before their very eyes. But those that are on this path are so stupid that they, in a sense, have set a trap for themselves in taking advantage of others. It will come to backfire on themselves. And friends, this is what temptation does. Temptation will always look friendly. It will always promise us something that it cannot deliver. 
It will promise wealth. It will promise prestige. It will promise uh, prominence. But it will always lead in destruction. It's the temptation to want to gain the wealth that ends us up in death. It will be the temptation of that invigorating affair that will end up in our family being divided and in turmoil. It will be in that desire for gain, for, uh, for power that ends us up in unemployment. And yet, yes, I know, I can hear it. Yeah, there's some people that succeed. Well, the psalmist says that. Sometimes the wicked do succeed. They do succeed. They get away with the affair. They get away. They have wealth in a corrupt way. But they will face judgment. They will come before God. Nobody really gets away with it. He says, be careful. Don't craft your own noose. Third consequence is that you reap what you sow. Look at verse 19. Solomon says to his son, Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life, the life of its possessor. Solomon is straightforward with his son. If you go down this path of greed, it will take your life away. In other words, there will, you will reap what you sow. And my friends, this is something that we understand with our heads, but sometimes we don't understand it with our hearts and in our actions. It's the dad who is so busy and so after the success that then his kid, by the time he becomes a teen, he has no relationship and he wonders, why? Why? Why is that happening? We reap what we sow. It's the person that lives an undisciplined life all their life. They, ha they have no discipline in money. They have no discipline in eating. They have no discipline in a lot of areas, no spiritual disciplines. And later on they say, well, why am I in a loveless marriage? Why am I in debt? Why are all these things happening to me? Why? It's the person who is a Christ follower who yes is ask Christ into their life but the church is kind of important to them they'll come once in a while they might come in late leave first but they don't really have a real spiritual walk throughout the week and somewhere along the line they say well why why does God seem so far away from me my friends we reap what we sow we reap it every time But here's the beauty. God knows. He's in control. So the question we need to ask ourselves is what kind of choices do we need to make? What kind of choices do we need to make? The fact is, every single one of us, every single one of us, your pastor included, gets off course throughout the week. Sometimes in a minor way, and sometimes we get off the course in a pretty major way that takes us way out of the way from what God would have us to do. But here's the deal. Some of us may feel like we are a million miles away from God. The beauty about God is that he is one decision back to him. 
His grace is sufficient. He says if, if you sin, you confess that sins, and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. James says this in James chapter 4. He says, but he gives more grace. Do you get that? He gives us more grace. We are dirty, filthy, rotten sinners that our hearts are always going to gravitate away from God unless I, God changes the course of my life, unless I change through the, the reading of God's word. I'm always going to do what's wrong, but God's grace is more. It's sufficient for us. But he says this, God opposes the proud. When you resist and you say, I don't got a problem. I don't got a problem. He doesn't like that he is grieved by that he is he is exalted when we are humbled and when we are humbled this is what happens according to James we submit ourselves therefore to God we resist the devil and the devil will flee we draw near to God and he draws near to us and we cleanse our hands our uh, sinners and we purify our hearts double-minded as we close out our service, the, I want us to ask the question, what voices have we been listening to in our life? At the beginning of the message, I said we need God's wisdom in navigating our way through this life. Because if we're not listening to his voice as prominent, we will end up with the wrong people in the wrong places doing the wrong things. But if we listen to the correct voice, God's voice, prominent, then we will make credible decisions. We will become people of integrity. We will be people of influence. As we close out, I've asked our elders. They're gonna, we're going to have a set of el elders and a wife there. That's going to be my wife and I and here and then in the back. And I believe that it's so vitally important as God is stirring in each of our hearts that we do what James says in chapter 5, that we pray with one another. That it is an act of humbling ourselves, And so we're going to stand during the song. And I'm going to ask you that if there is something that God's stirring on your heart. It might be according to this message. It might have been the message that you've been thinking about that Pastor Ramazan preached last week. I don't know. It might be just through your own quiet times that God is stirring something in your heart. I believe that we should take the last portion of our service and turn this into a house of prayer and for us to humble ourselves before God. And I believe God will be exalted. What's on your heart? Would you lift that up before God? Let's stand.